This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the month of August here on The Bounce Show with me, Ben Karpinski. Jeepers, we have a weekend of all weekends approaching. It is going to become something extremely special. Rugby, lots and lots of rugby. There's a final of Super Rugby. There's the final test in the Investec series, which is, of course, England versus South Africa. Hasn't gone overly well for the South Africans. And with the rain about, well, maybe it's going to be a 2-1 finish in the end. But there's also the IAAF World Champs. What an incredible occasion this is because the greatest athlete of all time, the greatest sports person of all time, in my very sort of <laughs> objective opinion, Usain Bolt. It'll be the last time he'll ever compete as a runner, as a sprinter. But sad, but uh, with all greats, they eventually finish, and Bolt will be finishing at this this uh, this championship meet. He'll be running the hundred meters this weekend, and then towards the end of the games will be his final event, which will be the four by one hundred meters. So today we're going to touch on those aspects. There's also lots of golf to talk about. There's the WGC. There's the Bridgestone Invitational. British Invitational is the final WGC event of the year. Dustin Johnson going forward unprecedented three in a row. Only Tiger, well, Tiger hasn't even done that. Tiger did two in a row a couple of times. But Dustin Johnson, he won He won the match play. Wait, is this the fourth time, actually? Because he won the match play, and then he won the thing in Mexico. Uh, he won the, the Bridgestone last year. See, this is way about, maybe I should prep the show a little bit better. Dustin Johnson has been amazing in the WGCs. He's been killing it. And, uh, well, I wouldn't say he's a favorite this week because obviously people are still talking about Jordan Spieth, but Spieth just won the Open, so maybe a bit of a performance hangover since then. Anyway, let's not get into it here. This may be my long and languid intro to ease you into the show. Opening song this week is the Oh Hellos, Like the Dawn. It's been quite a nice week for me personally. I got to go to the track for the first time, and that was a very, very cool experience. So you now I'm doing this sub-12 second 100-meter challenge thing. While Usain Bolt and everyone else is going to look to go like sub-9-7 over the weekend. I'm trying to go sub-12, which is quite a big thing, and uh, I've had a bit of a, bit of a shitty run with, uh, with sort of health the last two weeks. I had I went to the holiday, I got flu, uh, came back, felt groggy for a while. Only really shook it sort of beginning of this week. So... Back on the track and in spikes. Now, I'm releasing a video around this. It'll be this afternoon. So this is the 3rd of August. You'll be able to see the whole video. Basically, I went to the High Performance Center in Pretoria, which is an amazing institution. It really is. Amazing facilities. Just an amazing place to go if you want to kind of further yourself physically. Uh, no matter what sport, they've got people who can help you out. And it's just an incredible place to be. Like, you go there and you get so psyched to do more exercise-wise, whether it be... If you're a runner, um, if you're a tennis player, golfer, rugby player, whatever it is, 
They've got the most amazing systems in place. And they're also producing some of the most amazing talent uh, in this country sports-wise. If you were to look at the IAAF World Champs this weekend, you'll see a lot of the, the actual athletes based at the HPC in Pretoria all doing well there at the world's biggest stage. So I went there. I got on the spikes. I I ran. It was was so cool like i've done some amazing sporting things in my life but i've got like a whole new respect for athletics now and just a whole new interest in this challenge that i'm doing so i had my first time and you'll see on the video how i did but i'm i'm so super focused to carry this one on like i know i've done fitness challenges in the past and they've kind of all bombed out and fallen fallen by the wayside as of as is my physique but uh, this one uh, wow so tell you more about that uh update on my drone it is being diagnosed it's basically just needed the entire gimbal to be replaced so a little bit sad about that financially but uh big learning experience so it's okay you gotta do these things as an adult so they'll be back in the air quite soon which is kind of cool and along with that a whole bunch more uh videos on my youtube channel which is just the bounce on youtube yeah that's pretty much um that's the show ahead so there's not much football taking place right now I know it's the Community Shield which is going to be Arsenal versus Chelsea over the weekend and I know last week it was Chiefs versus Pirates but unfortunately that whole event was marred by the death of those two people in a spontaneous stampede which many are saying was because of um, illegal tickets being sold to people people then were denied access but then they wanted to kind of force their way into the ground and unfortunately two fatalities and a whole bunch of injuries so it's such a shame when bad administration bad organization or just the criminal element which is always in life i guess has to sort of ruin such a good thing so obviously the big talk around football right now is off the field and neymar's big (laughs) it's just crazy actually so it works out to be around like 3.4 billion billion rand that's what psg are prepared to sell barcelona sorry i'll prepare to buy sorry prepared to pay Barcelona in order to have the services of Neymar. So Neymar is obviously a marquee player and he plays at Barcelona and he kind of just does sort of fall sometimes in the shadows of, of course, Messi and sometimes Suarez as well. So for him, he goes to PSG. He is instantly the number one player and all the the fame and and fanfare and all the attention will be around him. So career-wise, sure, it's a good move. If PSG are going to rise up, you know, they've really shown signs they are a decent side. They've made some runs in the Champions League in the last sort of four or five years. With Neymar at the front, he could be worth all the money. But just onto the whole sum. So it's 222 million euros, which is, like I said, 3.4 roughly billion rand. It's just crazy because it is double that of what Paul Pogba got. Now, Paul Pogba was the biggest signing of last year. And many said, like, this is just crazy. Football's lost the plot. Now, if you lose the plot, if you were to go 10% more on top of that lost plot, it's like, okay, that's ridiculous. The fact of the matter is that Neymar is more than double. More than double what Pogba got. Something has to happen here. As I was saying this morning on the Gareth Cliff Show here on Cliff Central, like, I'm, I'm no socialist. I'm all for people making money and capitalism, all that kind of stuff. But, like, there is a line, okay? 222 million euros? for a, a footballer the fact there's that much money going around it, it just seems crazy it just seems absolutely crazy uh, I don't want to get into the, the, the social justice side of things but it, it almost seems irresponsible and I, I think I'll leave it at that but f- for other clubs to try and compete with this and to try sort of capture the big the big players going forward like how's a Leicester ever going to go anywhere how is um, a Benfica anywhere, any going to go anywhere how is 
uh, Real Sociedad. I mean, these guys, they're going to be stuck forever in this sort of middle middle area because they'll never be able to get the players. And as soon as they do have good players, then these big money clubs are going to go, well, how much do you want for him? And they go, well, we're not interested. They'll go, okay, well, everyone's got a price. And then they lose the players. So it is a bit sad. I guess it's life in a way. But I don't see a lot of positivity. This is what I'm getting at. I don't see a lot of positivity around one player costing that much money. And he's going to be making, I think, um, 800,000 euros a week. It's, it doesn't add up. It just does not add up. Well, it adds up to Neymar, of course, because he's been making so much money. And PSG apparently also have to pay this up front. This is another interesting part of the story because a lot of the time transfers are kind of like you have some sort of payment system. So how transfers are structured, uh, obviously pending a medical is that they'll then structure um, the whole payment scheme. So every club has its own negotiations. But with these big signings, sometimes they're always ballsy to say, I want that all up front right now. So that's at 865,000 euros a week. That equates to 13.5 million rand a week. Yeah. All right, let's get into into the big stuff, right? Shall we? The Super Rugby Final. It is finally here. Massive excited. I shall be going to Ellis Park over the weekend. I hope if you're in the area and you're a rugby fan, you've also made a plan to do so. 60,000 people are going to be in the stadium over the weekend and it's one of the great rugby stadiums in the entire world. Now, anybody who has traveled, anybody who has watched rugby will agree with me. This place is a rugby venue like no other. Firstly, you're at altitude, right? And the same about Joburg, everything is far more hardcore up here. It's just, it's life in the fast lane, in every single aspect of it. I know it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but you don't feel so alive watching sport as you do when you're watching it here on the high felt of Johannesburg. Anybody who has been here and contrasted it with other things around the world, you'll totally agree with me here. It is just an amazing place. The atmosphere on Saturday is going to be insane, mostly because alcohol consumption as well. You will not find a bunch of drunker, more emotionally charged people than a bunch of Lions fans in the sun with their team in the Super Rugby final. It's been a long time coming. Of course, last year they were in the final, but it was all the way in Wellington in New Zealand where, you know, when you travel for a final to New Zealand, you are not going to win. That's just how it works, unfortunately. So the Lions have had a pretty much an easier run of things. But before I get into just the two teams, uh, Crusaders and the Lions, just to tell you what they've gone, they've gone through through the seasons, just kind of recap on the semifinals that they went through. So we all know that the Lions had, supposed the easier way of going through to the knockout stages because they only played Australasian-based teams. The Crusaders, though, sorry, Australia uh, and South Africa teams, whereas uh, the Crusaders, they played, well, everyone who's tough, essentially. Um, they didn't play against the Lions, obviously, during the season because of the whole New Zealand thing. But... They did bloody well throughout the season, and in the quarter, in the semi-finals, they're up against the Chiefs. And uh, the weather's been terrible in Christchurch. It's been really, really terrible. Into the final, go the Crusaders. Just a question of will it be here? Will it be in Johannesburg? Well, of course it'll be in Johannesburg, you idiot. Twenty-seven thirteen is what the uh, Crusaders beat the Chiefs by. Of course, they had a. A much easier run of things in the quarterfinals, beating the Highlanders 17-0. But the big game from the weekend, the most surprising game well, of the two of the two semis was you kind of would have thought that the Hurricanes were going to be so great, and they were, and they started off so well. They were 22 points of three up. The Lions were very shaky in that quarterfinal against the Sharks. But then the second half turnaround was absolutely insane. They scored, I think, four tries in that second half. 
there there was the contentious decision around Burton Boat getting a yellow card. I believe it was a fair call. Yucca Pepper was right there. It's quite clear that Barrett did not only just fall on the wrong side of the tackle, but he then scooped the ball back with his legs. Now, a New Zealand person will say he was trying to get out of the way as to abide by the rules, and the ball got stuck in his legs. There's always two sides to every sporting story, isn't there? But anyway, he was given the 10 minutes in the bin, and with that, the Lions essentially just cl- closed it out, and uh, the Hurricanes tried very hard, but then their mistakes turned to even more tries. Piranara and the interception from Akafana Mavis Smith! Quaka Smith gets the drive. What a finish, what a turnaround. Game over. Full time in Johannesburg, Lions 44, Hurricanes 29. It was 22-3, just to kind of put that result into more perspective, 44-29. The Hurricanes were 22 points to three up. Absolutely amazing. And it kind of just sort of right on the right moment, on the semifinal, said, look, the Lions haven't played New Zealand teams this year. We get it, okay? Everyone said it. They've had a much easier run to the playoffs. But they showed so much character, so much heart, and so much fight. Because when you're behind like that against a team like the Hurricanes and in a, in a knockout format, it's just such massive BMT and such huge commitment. And it's going to give this team so much incredible belief. It really will. Yoko Paper was in the center of a lot of controversy around those calls towards the end of the game. People were saying in the first half, though, that he wasn't penalizing the Hurricanes for being overly aggressive on the defense and that they were offside the whole time. So, you know, you damned if you do, you damned if you don't as a referee in rugby. And the crowd was booing him in the first half and then they were cheering him in the second half. So you make up your mind what he's going to be like. But I think people should just stop focusing on the ref so much. Obviously, he's there because he deserves to be there. People are saying that they must have a neutral ref. You can't have a South African ref refereeing a South African team in a final. But referees are professionals, right? So he's the best guy for the job, as said as much by the Crusaders, by the Lions. They said, look, this is probably being the best guy throughout the tournament. He's the most worthy of being the final ref. Let's leave it at that. Who is going to be the favorite for this game? Well, you obviously look at the Crusaders, what they've gone through, the teams they've beaten, and the strength of player qualities and go, well, these guys will probably just shade the lines. True. And if you go into a lot of online booking sites, uh, betting sites, you'll find there's probably a handicap about one point, one and a half for the Crusaders. So they're very much the favorites on that aspect. But when you look at it, though, I've got a kind of simpler theory. The Crusaders have had a very tough season, right? We all know that how tough their schedule has been. Just to run you through the results and what they've actually gone through. So they started off the season kind of slow against the Brumbies, 17-13. Also kind of slow, just pipping the Highlanders 30-27 away, although that's still a good win. But then they only beat the Reds by two points, okay? Just two points. So they started off the season with wins by a margin of 4-3 and two points. But more convincing at home, they beat the Blues 33-24. Then the floodgates kind of opened a bit because they're playing lesser competition. They beat the Force 45-17 and away to the Waratahs 41-22. Then they played the Sunwolves. Anyone can beat those guys except the Blues and the Bulls. Uh, they beat the Sunwolves 50 points to three. Then the Crusaders hit, beat the Stormers 57-24. And then they went to South Africa, where they logged up 110 points in two games. They beat the Cheetahs 48-21, and they hammered the Bulls 62-24. So they're very much finding their stride here. Of course, they were unbeaten. They went back home. They beat the Hurricanes 20 points at 12. They then went to Fiji. So this team has really been around this season. They went to Fiji, and they beat the uh, the Chiefs 31-24. 
Then the Rebels hosted them, and they were very, very strong. They beat the Rebels there, 41-19. Then, right at the end there, they beat the Highlanders 25-22. So that was very tight. And then the Hurricanes, well, they hosted Crusaders, and their lone loss came right there. Hurricanes winning that one, 31-22. So if you were to break it down, of their 14 wins, they won on average by 18 points every single match. So a very, very convincing season, and you got to think that that they win right at the end. Like the New Zealanders have had a very tough schedule this year, right? So the Crusaders, when any, all the other teams have a break, during their international break, a lot of their players were playing for the All Blacks, obviously. They were in that mix, the star players, that is. Plus, they had to actually play the British and Irish Lions. So that was a full-strength Crusaders team playing another match in this window. Then, after the rigors of that British and Irish Lions tour, they then had come back and played their hardest game of the season, and that led to their first loss. So... Like I said earlier, in the quarters, they were pretty good against the Highlanders, 17-0, and then they beat the Chiefs after that one relatively comfortably. But they've done so in wet, horrible, heavy conditions. These guys must be knackered. The Lions, on the other hand, well, we all know they've had a much easier season because they haven't had to play against a single New Zealand team. They didn't play against a single... Sorry, they did play against all the New Zealand teams last year, and they still made it through to the final. So let's not... Let's not under under class or sorry underestimate the, the the quality of this team at all. They started off the season very slow as well. They only beat the Cheetahs by three points in Bloemfontein, twenty eight twenty five. They then beat the Waratahs, fifty five thirty six. Their only loss of the season came against the Jaguares. That was in Jaguares country. So they went to Argentina, and Johan Ackermann again believed that the strongest team must not go and have the rigors of this this travel. We must go send our fringe players, and, uh, well, we hope for the best. So they lost that one, 36-24. They then came back, and they hammered the Reds, 44-14. That was the week after the Reds only went down to the Crusaders by two points. They then uh, went off to the PE. They beat the Kings 42-19. They then beat the Sharks 34-29 at home. They then beat the Stormers away 29-16. And it was after that match, because remember the Stormers had such a great start to Super Rugby season this year. They were looking so good. Everyone, all the Stormers fans, uh, Sport 24, Stormers 24, call it what you want to do. They were all saying, you know what, Robbie Flett's got the right mix here. This could be something special. Hey, look, I was exactly the same. I said, look, the Stormers are going to do well this year, this season. The Lions were like, uh, guys, hang on a second. We're still the only team to watch in SA. They won 29-16. Then they went back and they played the Shagiwalath again. And again, it was a very tight match. 24-21. They did win in the end. Then they went on tour. Not the hardest tour in the world because they had the Force, which they beat 24-15. They beat the Rebels 47-10. And then they beat the Brumbies 13-6. But, even though they weren't playing their best, they showed a lot of character in that tour. And again, against the Brumbies, they were not having a good day whatsoever. 13-6, they did win that one. Then it was home for the, basically the final swing towards getting to the top of the, the table. They beat the, they beat the Bulls 51-14. Easy game against the Bulls nowadays for these guys. They then beat the Kings 54-10. They beat the Sun Bulls 94-7. I'll never forget that one. That was the big game of the year. Purely because the Sun Bulls rocked up with a few injuries. And they just completely lost the plot. 94 points in 80 minutes of rugby. And they would be really upset about that seven they conceded. It was very soft. Then in the final match, they took on the Sharks and needing to win after the Crusaders lost to the Hurricanes to get top of the spot, top of the log. They won 27-10 away in Durban. Again, there was errors, but they're still comfortable winners. Quarterfinals, they met the Sharks again. Narrow win there, but a huge character builder. And then the 44-29 
Huge comeback win against the Hurricanes. So, out of all their wins, their 14 wins, it came an average of 24 points. So, we can look at this all day and we can look at all the stats and see how many carries they've had, how many tackles they've made, line breaks they've made, offloads they've made. None of that really matters right now, I think, because these are two quality sides. But we've got to look at the basics of what I just went through right there. The Crusaders have had a longer, tougher, more arduous season than the Lions. The Lions have to be fresher going into this. I know they're missing Warren Whiteley, and that is a huge, huge thing for this team right now, especially in these big moments. A home final is going to be bigger than any of these guys have ever played in their entire life, right? Even this, even the guys who have been playing for the box, no one is going to be able to prepare them for what they're going to get on Saturday. 60,000 screaming, cheering home fans at Ellis Park on a beautiful Joburg sunny day with I mean, like this is, this is rugby immortality here. To win a super rugby trophy, it doesn't happen to, to South African teams, right? It happened to the Bulls three times, but that was a golden era. It really was quite special. The Sharks have come close. They've faltered at the final stages. The Stormers have promised so much, but always just choked it up when they can't even make a final. They made one final. It was against the Bulls. They lost the Bulls. So this is a big, big deal for this team. And it's a big, big deal for these players. How are they going to be composed enough? How are they going to be able to settle the nerves? That's where the Crusaders will be better. Kieran Reed is leading a side that even though it isn't their experience, these guys just always play to a system. And they're so good like that. So there's one one edge. But you got to think with the travel of coming here, a, a tough, tough season and then a final at altitude. We saw the Hurricanes fall away a bit last week. Obviously, these guys have played in South Africa many, many times. They had done well at altitude, but on the back of the season that they've had, I think this is going to be a huge, huge factor. The Lions are fresh. They're playing their last match for coach uh, Johan Ackermann. They're obviously playing for Warren Whiteley. He's going to be on the sidelines cheering them on. I'm getting pretty revved up just thinking about this, and I can't think of, well, I don't want to jinx the guys because that's what I do. So I'm going to say that the Crusaders aren't going to be the winning team. That's me basically trying not to jinx the Lions by giving you a very definite kind of heads up of what I think it is. The Crusaders, this is a very inexperienced team that's done well. They've played as a great unit. This game is going to be one game, I think, too far. And they've just played two tough games in wet, horrible conditions. The hard and fast high felt. If Elton Junchies can just have a half-decent kicking game, I reckon the Lions should have this. And that is your Super Rugby Preview. On the show here, uh, if you go on to the bounce of CFDZA this afternoon, August the uh, 3rd, there'll be a full preview on the actual blog. Plus, if you've been playing Super Brew on the bounce pool, I will show you what the prizes are. I went and had a look at them this week. They are that cool. It is um, something that was worthy of making a video around, so I've done that. That's what you can look forward to if you are playing in the bounce pool. But we must move on to the crickets. And, uh, well, how about the third test? It was... Well, maybe not frustrating because maybe it just see now I'm a long suffering sports fan, right? All my teams that I support, they mostly trophyless. That's just how it works. And I believe you've got to have some losses to kind of shake you up and put you in a position where you can start to win. That sounds very optimistic, I know. But I think this third test definitely did show up that um obviously losing Werner Philander at the oval was a big, big problem. But the fact that the bowlers didn't quite adapt after that, I think Morning Morkel is bowling so nicely right now, so there's no point including him in any sort of criticism whatsoever. But I think Kohisa Rabada, for all the talent that he possesses, sometimes he just needs a bit more application, a bit more consistency. The guy bowls those impossible balls that you can't play. I mean, the way he bowled that um, Davi Malan was just absolutely incredible. But in situations like this, these guys have got to start stepping up now. Chris Morris as well. 
you know, his length was so good at Trent Bridge because he had a plan of action. It was to bowl really fast and really, really, really intimidate the guys. He didn't know what he was doing with the oval and he was going at, I think, five and a half runs and over and he bowled a lot of overs. So there's just, this, there's no mystery here why England won so emphatically. But the way this, this test ended was rather interesting with Moen Ali getting a very, very unique hat trick. by Stokes good bit of bowling Dean Olgo was his first victim by Moeen Ali and that ends a quite wonderful innings from Dean Elgar Elgar's excellent gutsy innings comes to an end eight strikes again almost the same as Elgar just floated up outside the off stump a bit wider maybe, Rabada could have left it, but he was sucked into the drive. The landmark test on this ground then had an ending that would go down in history. To win the test match, and we have a review. Show me the front foot. It's three reds. And Joel, what a way to end a test match. Moen Ali with the first hat trick for an England spinner since 1938-39. What a way to finish. Now, instantly, I've got to, i got to bring up the point that is so obvious here. How much of a dickhead was that umpire? I mean, the Proteas had lost the match. They were, they were, they were taking an absolute pounding. Moen Ali on a hat trick bowls a pretty fantastic straight ball, obviously hitting the stumps. And even if the umpire was any doubt, give it to the bowler. Like hat tricks are so rare. I mean, Atherton just told you it was back in like black and white days when the guy last got a hat trick as a spinner in, at, uh, for England. And the umpire stood there and he was like, hmm, no, number 11, uh, looks pretty good, but no. So they had to wait. For the third umpire, they're all sitting around. That huge elation of knowing the balls hit the pad in front of the in front of the, the wickets was then watered down by the third umpire. Then saying, "Yeah, you got it." Now oh, these umpires—they just have no sense of occasion, do they? But good on Monelli. This guy has been incredible this se- this season. Uh, oh, sorry, just in this this series alone, he is the top wicket taker. What a way to finish a test match! Yeah, brilliant way. I think. Uh couldn't do any better, you know, with regards to the boys as well and the feeling um, and some special performances, but to, to win the game with a hat-trick was fantastic. Elgar's 136, the standout performance for the touring side, but it wasn't anywhere near enough as Roland Jones took 3 for 72 in addition to Moeen's top figures, his 4 for 45, finishing off the South Africans in some style. Some style, yeah. So all those Dean Elgar showing that the pitch wasn't exactly terrible. And that's what I find really upsetting about this because there's a general consensus going around that if you win the toss, you win the test. But it's not like the batting was so terrible in that fourth innings. With the sun out, the ball was coming on quite nicely. Maharaj showed some application. Morris was there for a bit. Uh, yeah, it's just frustrating. But again, this is how teams grow. But just getting on to, like I was saying, Moen Ali has been absolutely amazing in this investing test series. 18 wickets, right, from three matches. And then Keshav Maharaj is second on 14 wickets. So prior to the series, everyone went into this thinking, well, the new Duke ball is going to do all kinds of things. It's going to be all but the seamers. All the focus was on Broad and Anderson, was on Rabada. 
Morkul, Philander, and then top of the pile right there. 18 wickets for Ali, 14 wickets for Maharaj. The next best is Anderson on 13, who's been, well, he hasn't been incredible, but he's averaging 17 for the series, so he's right up there. And then Morkul, who I think's bowled absolutely brilliantly. He's had some real tough moments where he's had to do so much for this team, but he's looked very dangerous at times. He's had 13 wickets. And then Philander, what an absolute shame that he was to get that, that viral stomach infection, whatever it was, because he started off, even being so ill, his, four, his first four overs were solid. He was like one for nine, looking unplayable as ever. So he's got 10 wickets, and the Rabada's also got 10 wickets. But Toby Rowland-Jones... This is the more frustrating thing about that whole test match is that England were on the back foot after Trent Bridge, and then they had to make three changes because their team was just not pulling its weight. Jennings at the top, I think, was lucky to stay on, but then he scored a uh, a 49, a valid 49 on the second test, but he was dropped, and he's not a good player. But Gary Ballons had to be given the flick. He was. I thought Wesley was pretty good. He looks very solid as number three, very strong of his pads. I think he's got a, definitely a player for the future. Um... Darby Malone, of course, is a good player, and he's shown that in the limited of his uh, form of the game. But the team was so strong, even when he had a bit of a blip in the middle of the order, everything else picked up. But Toby Rowland-Jones, just hitting a good length, that's all you got to do in these conditions. And you saw at the beginning, there was a bowler-friendly pitch. It was kind of green, it was coming on nicely. It just needed to have some application, and all the protest bowlers missed the length. Toby Rowland Jones, people are still trying to work out if, like, who this guy is, and he already had four wickets, and SA were in all kinds of trouble. So it happens like this in test cricket, and that's what makes it so, so amazing. So going to the next test, uh, the bad news is that obviously the protests are 2-1 down, and uh, just one test to go. That's at Old Trafford, which is in Manchester, as you know. But as everything that happens kind of mid to the top part of Great Britain, it rains pretty much every day. So days one, two, and four look like they're going to be affected by the rain. So after all this we had, after all the drama we've had in the series, I really think that the one-sided results are going to kind of come to an end. We're going to see two evenly matched teams now because I think they both got the team selection right. I don't think there's too much wrong with this Proteus team. It's just these guys have to apply themselves, and you can't tell me that people at this level can't apply themselves to a sort of bowling plan or just tighten things up. Greater shot selection. Stop padding up to balls that are near the stumps. It's just, it's so simple and it's so fixable. And you know these guys are good enough to do it. It's not like Fafti Pasti has suddenly become a crap batsman. This guy has done wonders for this team. And it's bound to get better. Like someone actually said to me on Twitter... If the protests would just show up, they would be ahead in the series. Like, they didn't show up at Lords. <laughs> as simple as that. I know Faf wasn't there. But at times of the Oval, it just looked like they were all as ill as Vern. It just did not go well. So if they could just show up, and I hope the weather won't be such a massive factor. But there is a big preview of this on the Bounce of Seed Um I've been doing some really cool sort of like research around this. There's so many great, um, so I love about cricket is like stats and all kinds of other information is so easy, easy, um, usable nowadays. So I've been using the Investec Test Tracker, which is something you can go to. It is, um, well, if you go onto the, if you go onto my, my, my site, go onto the Bounce of Zero today, you'll see in the previous section, click on through to the Investec Test Tracker. There's all kinds of really cool things for ways of following the live cricket. So there's an interactive scorecard. There's a match tracker, which shows the momentum between the two teams. It's, uh, it's, it's all powered by, uh, I think it's Opta. Now these guys are stats. Just they're just the magicians of all things stats, and they've devised this really cool system where you can see how the ebbs and the flows of the game are going through a very interesting c- calculation. There's also the wagon wheels of all the players, 
and then the player profile so you can compare who's doing what. So how Mona Lee's got his wickets against, say, Maharaj, that kind of stuff. That'll take place Friday, the 4th of August here, South African time, 12 o'clock. And yeah, like I said, weather permitting, it could be a really good, tightly contested match. So that's cricket. That's the rugby. Um, I know there's other cricket on the go at the moment. India are playing Sri Lanka, but, uh, and there's the SAA versus India, A versus Afghanistan, a, uh, little tri-series happening here. But again, we, we, we can't cover it all. We just can't cover it all. What I do want to get into is the IAAF World Champs, which is taking place this weekend. And all the talk is around Usain Bolt's. Obviously, there is all the talk around him. So let's kick it off with just how amazing this guy is, all his big stats, and why he is just such an, just such a legend. Uh, I've got to stop Mona Lee still celebrating there. Right, Usain Bolt's, and then we're going to get into this. If I can just find the clip. There it is. Asafa Powell broke 10 seconds legally on 97 occasions, having long overtaken the tally of 51 such races by American Morris Green. Bolt comes next with 49 sub-10 runs. He has 12 runs under 9.8 seconds, three of the fastest five and two fastest of all, his world record of 9.58 at the 2009 World Championships and his Olympic record 9.63 from 2012 in London. He shares the third fastest time, 9.69, with Tyson Gay and Johan Blake. The average of Bolt's 10 fastest 100-meter races is 9.73. Only Gay, Blake, Powell and Bolt himself have ever gone quicker than that. Although only two of Bolt's individual world records have come in the 200 meters, he's far better in this event than anyone else. He's broken 20 seconds 34 times. 10 clear of Namibia's Frank Fredericks and 11 ahead of the American pair of Michael Johnson and Wallace Spearman, who have 23 each. Bolt has run under 19.8 seconds 21 times, with 14 of those under 19.7, 9 of the 16 clockings under 19.6 and 4 of the 7 under 19.5. If that weren't enough, he's the only athlete to have broken 20 seconds while still a junior athlete. Bolt's top 10 200 meter times average out to 19.47 seconds. Other than the man himself, only Blake and Johnson have dipped under that threshold. It's amazing. It's probably been wise for the 6 feet 5 inches Bolt never to have run indoors. Instead, he has often used the first quarter of the year to run 400 meter races and relays. Still, the curious mind sometimes wonders how he would handle 60 meters if he gave it a try. The only clue comes from a statistical breakdown of his 100-meter world record released by the IAAF. It turns out that Bolt covered the first 60 meters in 6.31 seconds. Morris Green, 100-meter Olympic champion in 2000 and three-time world champion, holds the world record for the indoor 60 meters at 6.39 seconds. The Jamaican record is 6.44 held by Powell. So you get the point, right? He's achieved everything. And I think uh, I read a, I read something last week that out of the 20 uh, top top runs of all time, 20 fastest runs in animated history, six of them came by Usain Bolt. And they were also the only six that were legal, as in he was the only non-doper who managed to get those, those times. The guy is incredible. He's given sport just so much. And I, I just, I love watching. If you look at my, my YouTube search history, 
it's just mostly Usain Bolt. I can watch that guy run like all day. It is, it is really rather strange. Like no one has ever sort of made such a big impact on my sport watching life as Usain Bolt has. Like there's something so cool happened. I think it was just Tuesday. So, you know, he, he's sponsored by Puma, right? Now Puma, back in the day, all kinds of people were throwing money at, at Usain Bolt. Like, you know, wear this, wear that. We want you to be on board. Cause you know, he's been amazing from like pretty early. He was the first ever, uh, youth athlete to go under 20 seconds in the 200 meters. So from the age of 17, I think he went to the, I think it was 17. He went to the Athens games, the Athens Olympics, but he was just such a green, absolute nobody sprinter. He also had a hamstring strain and he finished fifth in his heat in the 200 meters, didn't qualify, didn't go through, but he was approached by all these big brands. And he said, look, the only brand that, that I'm going to be working with is Puma because growing up in Jamaica, uh, because you know that's the movie Cool Runnings with the Bobstead team from those days like right, way back in the day it's just that they've always associated with that brand and they've just been cool like that so Puma's uh, sort of taglines forever faster so this week he was given spikes commemorating his, the legacy that is his, his life and rather than forever faster on his spikes the one shoe says forever the other shoe says fastest it's I I I can't, I can't speak enough about this guy, how great he is. You look at his records, right? I don't see, I don't see his records being beaten in, in our lifetime. I know incrementally these records go down all the time, but just the, the athlete that he is, the work ethic. I mean, this guy, if you watch any of the documentaries involving him, the way he trains, how, how he trains, what he's had to go through, the setbacks, his less than ideal physique as far as his height and how, you know, his, a, sp- a curvature of the spine you know this guy's had torn hamstrings he's had all kinds of issues but he just works harder than anyone else 100 meters 958 200 meters 1919 um both of those were set in 2009 if there's any criticism around the guy it's like well that was all of eight years ago you're telling me in the next eight years he couldn't take it further whatever it is maybe that was the the incredible prime of his career but there's so many great documentaries around him and there's so many great things on YouTube to look around him. One thing, the only criticism going into this, this final event is that he's bowing out in the hundred. And as much as Gatlin and DeGrasse and Sabini, all these guys, like they're amazing runners. They're not really an equal with Bolt, right? So he doesn't have to be his best to win. He'll probably squeak through and win it at the end because it's kind of past that. But I really wanted to see him go out having a duel with someone who is really at the top of their game and is really in a similar kind of bracket. Of course, no one's actually really been in a similar kind of bracket for Bolt the whole way through his career. So it would be nice to have seen him have a, a, a kind of a bitter rival that was his equal. He was always head and shoulders above the rest, but literally and figuratively. But that opportunity is here because Wade Finnecook right now in the 200, I think this guy's number one in the world, no doubt about it. He's just such an incredible runner, and to have Bolt versus Van Eekirk for the final, his final swan song. Look, people will say maybe he doesn't want to go out on the loss, but there's no guarantee that he would lose. Of course, I mean he is Usain Bolt after all, but that would have been the perfect send off, I think, for his career to beat someone who's on the up and up, because everyone's saying that you know Van Eekirk is the next, the next talent in sprinting. He's the guy who's going to take it forward from Bolt with dominance and all the rest. So this weekend, if you want to look into the sprinting IWF World Champs, that'll be Friday night. Uh, we'll get the first of the heats. So Friday, 
20 past 9 South African time, the first of the 100 meter heats. On to Saturday, the semifinals will take place at 5 past 8 at night time. These are all South African time, of course. And then the final, the last time you can see Usain Bolt running the 100 meters as individual athletes, it will be at quarter to 11, and that will be Saturday night. So what a day. Super rugby final, test crickets, and then watching Usain Bolt in his final race. Of course, there's lots of South African interest this weekend at the IWF World Champs. Luvo Manyonga, he is the long jump sensation. So he'll be taking place, or his his event will be taking place Friday at 8 o'clock. So that will be the qualifiers. And then he'll be in the, of course, he'll be in the final. He'll be in the long jump final Saturday at 5 past 9. So you can kind of just put the TV on around 8. You'll see the semis of the 100. Akani Sambini is going to be there. You'll see Costa Semenya. She'll be in the... 1500 meter semi-finals. The heats will take place on Friday. She'll obviously get through to that. And then it'll be Luval in the long jump at five plus nine. And then Akani Sabini with Usain Bolt, quarter to 11. So did I say, okay, quarter to 11, Saturday night. Wait for Nikuk. He will be in action in the 400 meter heat Saturday, 11.45. And then Sunday will be the semis of the 400 meters. And that will be at 20 to 9. So huge weekend of athletics. I know people always get psyched about the Olympics because that's every four years. And athletics is a massive draw card towards that. And everybody watches the sprints. Well, now IWF world champs. It's kind of like in a cricketing terms, it's like the champion's trophy. You've got all the quality just slightly lesser um, uh, crowning success. It is also a huge weekend of golf as well because now we're into the final sort of money stage of the year, so to speak. We've got this WGC event, the Bridgestone Invitational at the Firestone Country Club in Akron, Ohio, which is basically a town that where they make tires. Well, they don't make tires, but they put them together. Obviously, the rubber comes from elsewhere. Um, it's a pretty – it's like a – Pretty one-dimensional place, but they've got this amazing golf course that the tire company has put huge amounts of money in. This is beautiful, tree-lined old classic. Dustin Johnson won it there last year, and it starts a huge swing, which then sees the final major of the year, the PJ Championship. That'll be next week. And yes, I do have another competition. Uh, together with Puma, I managed to find, well, we've got a really cool, every, every time there's a major, right? There's a major prize and it's something you want to win. And like, it's really cool giving these prizes out people because they are so great. This time around, there's a special, you won't be able to buy this bag, right? You can shop around the world, you can do what you want. Chances of you finding this bag are slim to bloody zero. It's a special PGA Championship, uh, Puma tour bag. Um, it's beautiful. You will get all the information about that in the early next week of how you can win that. And of course, will have something to do with Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler has won at Quail Hollow before, which is the host, uh, venue of this PGA Championship. So. Again, going to be pulling for Ricky, and you got a great chance of winning a great prize. But this is this whole swing, right? So we've got the WGC this week. We've got the PGA Championship next week, the final major of the year. And then it's the end of the FedEx series. So August, September, this is it. This is where all the big players are out trying to get the big money. And, of course, with that huge amounts of world ranking points. So for this weekend, nothing to really kind of look at other than the fact that Roy McIlroy's caddy change was the big story. Jordan Spieth just won the Open, so you know he's going to be playing there for the first time since then. Dustin Johnson may return to the form. All the big players are going to be the mix here. But the big story going into the week was Ricky, uh, sorry, Roy McIlroy ditching his caddy. I think it's been about eight years they've been together. When they first got together, McIlroy was 200th in the world. Uh, he went all the way to the top, of course. He won four majors with this guy, uh, J.P. Fitzgerald. And they have gone through a split. Now, we all know McElroy's had his troubles in the last few years. He hasn't won a major since 2014. 
Um, he's been up and down. He's changed clubs. He's got married. There's been injuries. There's, uh, there's been a lot going on outside of the winner's circle, so to speak. So McElroy said that, look, he wanted to basically, um, salvage a personal relationship with someone by sort of, um, sacrificing the professional one, which is a very nice way of saying this guy's really getting, <laughs> I'm really over this guy. And if it goes on any longer, I, it, it may get messy. And look, all relationships end, whether it be caddy, whether it be a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever it may be. And uh, Roy just believes that this is it. You know, we've got to a point now where it can't go any further. McElroy alluded to the fact that he might be taking some of his frustrations out on his longtime caddy. His longtime caddy, of course, would probably suck it up. Um, you know, it's a lot of money on, on Rory's bag, but these things all come to an end. So Rory's got a close friend on his bag this week and next week. And then he says he's going to take it from there. There's a very good chance that this guy, uh, his name's Diamond. There's a very good chance he may be a full-time, uh, option for Rory, but they're going to see how the next two weeks go. I think that's pretty much it. I'm talked myself to a standstill. It's a huge weekend of sport to find out more tomorrow morning. Uh, like every morning here on Cliff Central on the Gareth Cliff Show, you can catch me with a very much uh, precise summarized version of what's going on in the sport from day to day. That is on the Gareth Cliff Show here on cliffcentral.com. Otherwise, the bounce.co.za. Going to have a lot of content up between now and Friday afternoon, which will be the 4th of August, so you know exactly what's going on in the world of sports. Big cricket preview, big preview for the Super Rugby final, and a chance to win some really cool prizes next week, as always. And then my big reveal of what time I ran. First time on the track. That'll be coming out on YouTube on the bounce that my my profile there, and that'll be this afternoon, South African time, about sort of twelve onwards. Whew. I am so excited for this weekend, Ellis Park final day. It does not get much better than that. If you have any other feedback, any other things you feel I should be adding more to, uh, I've got some great guests lined up in the next sort of month or two. Uh, today we had to catch up on a couple of things. So otherwise, suggestions, feedback, whatever you want to do, Ben at thebounce.co.za if you want to send me an email. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at followthebounce or find me on Instagram at thebounce. All pretty simple, all pretty easy, and uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Jane, in the producer box. Jane? No, she's just ignoring me. <laughs> Wait, Jade, uh, I, I just got to ask while, while we end the show here. Um, you don't often sit in the producer box, but then again, you have been away for a while. Do you want to stop producing my show? It doesn't pay much. Uh, <laughs> actually, Ben, I would love to do that because I don't want to fight with you anymore. Oh, don't worry, I'm not going to fight. But I mean, if, for you to produce the show, what do I need to pay you? Nothing, actually. Nothing? Yeah, it's just payback time. Wow. Yeah. Because Jensen's becoming a becoming a mother second time round, you've really changed. You know how many people they ask me what's wrong with you and Ben when they come here? <laughs> then they got beef. Yeah, like they think there's something wrong between me and you. So uh, you know what? It's, it's just jealousy, Jane, because we we've got a relationship that no one else around here has. You see, so they have to know that we don't fight. We just like the way we are. We are <laughs> we are the way we are. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Jane, and she'll be involved in helping me with the show from now on. That was a very loose agreement, but you, you heard it here. Uh, that's it. I got to go. I've got lots of things to write about. I've got videos to edit. It's been great hanging out with you today. As always, catch more on cliffcentral.com for the rest of the day. A whole variety of shows. Otherwise, the bounce is today for everything else that's been of a sporting nature. Ciao. This is cliffcentral.com.